We are in the 15th message of the series called Revelation Revealed. And we are what a lot of scholars, where we are, um, a lot of scholars believe that no one can know for sure, but approximately two to three years into the tribulation, and again, that's conjecture, no one knows how these judgments are going to play out in regards of time of the, in, between each judgment and the time of the great seven-year tribulation to earth. At, at the time, has been through a lot at this point. Uh, it's gone through seven sealed judgments, the rise of the Antichrist, the spirit of murder on earth, economic collapse and famine. You had a rider on the pale horse representing death that killed approximately 1.7 billion people through war, famine, disease, and animal attacks. That is if you're going from 8 billion people on earth and then you're saying that maybe a billion go in the rapture, right? And that's, that's maybe a high number, we don't know. Uh, most scholars believe that those 1.7 billion that would die just in that particular sealed judgment will be unbelievers. Um, then in the sealed judgments, you have many, many people standing up for their faith, refusing the mark of the beast, and they die for their faith. And so that is noted as, as one of the seals. You have an earth, earthquake that moves every mountain and island on the earth. You have nu nuclear war. I think it makes it very clear that there is a nuclear war in the sealed judgments. Uh, the covenant has been signed by the Antichrist out of the Middle East uh, with Israel. You have 144,000 Jewish evangelists that have been saved and sealed, as the Bible describes it. Remember, a lot of the book of Revelation, like the book of Daniel, is not in order. So we haven't talked about this yet, but many prophecy experts believe that the two witnesses appear Somewhere within the sealed judgments and the trumpet judgments, and if you don't know who they are, we'll, we will get, we'll talk about them when we get there in the book here. Then we went through the trump, trumpet judgments. Uh, you had hail, fire, blood, uh, burning up of, of, of one-third one of the trees and greenery on the earth. You had what the Bible describes as something like a burning mountain hitting the sea, killing one-third of all sea life and sinking one-third of the ships. You have a blazing object called wormwood that strikes the earth, poisoning one-third of all the fresh water on the earth. You also have one-third of all the light gone. So there's only 60%, 66% of the light that we have now will be on earth then. It's gone by one-third. And this is where we ended two weeks ago in Revelation 8.13. And behold, I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhibitors of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Some translations say this is an eagle calling out, woe, woe, woe. Some scholars believe this is a literal eagle. Some people believe it's an angel, and I've even read after a few that believes it's actually the raptured church that's calling those three woes. These woes are, are announcing the last three trumpet judgments. They're even called the trumpet woes. These woes are worse than any judgment that we've talked about thus far. And 
Um, and I want to take you back to Revelation 8:12 because this plays into a lot of the opinions about what's going on in these last three trumpet judgments. The fourth angel sounded. Third part of the sun was smitten. Third part of the moon, third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, the day shone not for a third part of it and the night likewise. So notice it says the sun was smitten. It was hit. The moon was hit. The stars were hit. Some translations call it struck. The moon and stars and sun were struck by something. And many commentators will tell you straight out, chapter 9 is considered one of the most difficult chapters to interpret in Revelation. But verses 1 and 2, and we only get through a little over half of it today. The fifth angel sounded, I saw a star fall from heaven onto earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. It's calling the star a him. And he opened the bottomless pit. There arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. This is not a star. It's a he or a him. And many commentators believe, and I'm not a commentator, but I believe with them. They've talked me into it. This is Satan right here, bouncing off the sun and the moon and the stars. It's called a him in verse one, a he in verse two. Now we know that Satan has already fallen. Uh, Back before the book of uh, uh, Genesis or millions of years before the creation of Adam and Eve. But that doesn't mean he does not have access into heaven. You can see him with access to heaven in Job. Where he's challenging God on Job. And we saw in Revelation 8, 12, something struck the sun, moon, and stars almost like it was bouncing off. Don't lose sight of that. Many commentators believe this is the actual heavenly body of Satan being cast out of heaven. I'll give you another example. We all know about the one in Job where Satan is in the courtroom of heaven. And the devil is in the courts of heaven. And we're about to read about a meeting, another meeting. These aren't good spirits up in heaven. Uh, the meeting is in heaven. It's about Ahab, the... the the, the devil just told me that Rick Renner's voice is so much more calming than mine. Okay. That's kind of what stuff you're thinking when you're doing this up here. <laughs> Anyways, it's deep, isn't it? But okay, this Ahab, right? Ahab is one of the worst, most evil kings Israel, Israel had. Uh, there may have been one as bad named Manasseh, but he sacrificed babies in the fire, he was so evil. He had a wife that was probably worse than him. Um, and the Lord was done with him. Uh, the Lord was done with him. And really, the Lord was, was done with, with northern Israel. The Lord was done with this country. And then he, he brought in this guy named Jehu, who wasn't a good guy. This guy was a ruthless, you could almost call him like a super soldier. And this is a whole other sermon, but really, Jehu, God used Jehu 
to give the nation of northern Israel like a 30-year reprieve. Jehu went ahead and killed Jezebel, killed the 70 sons. Well, he made someone throw her out a window, and then he trampled her with his horse. He killed 70 sons of Ahab's. He killed every Baal worshiper in the country, tricked them, uh, lured them all into one building, <laughs> and then murdered him. Because northern Israel was close at this time to being taken away by the Assyrians, and northern Israel didn't get to spend 70 years in Babylon and come back to Jerusalem. They never saw Jerusalem again until, these, until Israel became a nation. So what, what we're about to read is the Lord talking to this lying spirit, probably in the court of heaven, giving him permission to go down there and deceive Ahab, all right? And then the Lord uses this guy named Jehu. He deceives Ahab into going into battle. Ahab gets killed, but then he uses Jehu to kill Jezebel, Ahab's 70 sons, and anyone remotely connected to this evil king. And it changes everything in that country. And it was probably like two weeks. That's what I was thinking about the guy out on the couch. The Lord can do anything. The, the Lord can do anything. And in 1 Kings 22, 20 through 23, the Lord said, who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? One said this way. One said, I'll do it this way. I'll do it this way. Another said, I'll do, I'll do this. I'll do this. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go forth and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets. The Lord said, you shall entice him and succeed. Go forth and do it. And so Ahab asked, the this, this spirit deceived these prophets who, who were complete doofuses, right? These prophets, and, and he deceived them. And then Ahab said, should I go to war? They said, yes, you will be victorious. And then he went to war and he was killed. And so... That's in the courtroom of heaven. They're talking about a world leader. The fate of a world leader. Right there. So what we're going to get into in these trumpet judgments is Satan losing his ability in the courts of heaven in the middle of the tribulation to accuse. He's called the accuser of the brethren. All right? That's why we need an advocate. I'm telling you guys, I read a lot of people on this, and this is Satan losing his right into, to step into the courts of heaven, is what we're about to read here. There's a lot of old school guys that do not agree with this, that think just so happens in the middle of the book of Revelation, he's John is just going to say, I think I'll just tell you guys about Lucifer's fall, right? And write it in there. No. Okay? And, and there, there are far more commentators that believe this is Satan himself. The star that had fallen from the sky is called a him or a he. And we're not, we're not going to do this very far often. We're not going to skip forward. But like I said, it's not all in order, the book. 
of Revelation, you have a star. Many times in the Bible, a star is translated angel. A, a falling angel hits the sun, bounces off the sun, hits the stars, hits the moons. You can see that angel, multi, star is, tra- is translated angel multiple, multiple times. You look in Job 38, 7, and I'm, gonna, I'm telling you guys, uh, most people in this day and age believe that this happens mid-trib, what I'm reading you, Revelation 12, 7 through 12. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He cast out, he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of our Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. He wasn't, there was no one for him to accuse millions of years ago when he was cast down. Man wasn't here yet. There were no brethren. Which accused them before our God day and night. That's right now. He's accusing us right now. Otherwise, we wouldn't need an advocate. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore, rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe. Hint, hint. This is a woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth. Think about this. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth. Well, all the, 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 the people and the animals, when the devil was cast down before, weren't here yet. Are you hearing me? They weren't here yet. And so... I just need it. I just need it. Is this better if I do my voice like this a little bit and just, if I just kind of talk like this? Is, do I sound more, more relaxing? More spirit filled? Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So, this is the order that this all goes down. I want to talk to you about these spiritual beings for a second. And give you the opinion of really one really well-respected theologian. This guy says that many conservative scholars do not make the correct distinction between fallen angels and demons. And this is his opinion. But it's very interesting what we know about fallen angels and also um, angels that have not fallen, that are still part of God's army. They can materialize. They can, they can take people by the hand. Demons are evil, but if you study it out in the scriptures, many of them are powerless unless they embody something. And they can only enter something's body with permission. Jesus actually said, evil spirits don't have flesh and bone like I have. Something can be a spirit But we know that angels can materialize. An angel is a spirit being, but he has the ability to materialize. Look at Hebrews 13.2. Do not forget or neglect or refuse to extend hospitality to strangers. 
in the brotherhood, being friendly, cordial, gracious, sharing the comforts of your home and doing your part generously. For through it, some have entertained angels. Without knowing it, they thought they were humans and were entertaining an angel. Here you have good angels materializing. You see demons seeking embodiment. It's in the Bible that they always need permission. Even for the animals in the case of, remember where the, uh, the demons asking Jesus uh, to go into the swine when the, the demon named Legion was possessing that man? Demons are destined for torment. They know that. They know what their future is. And you can see them recognizing this in this meeting with Jesus Christ. They even make comments to the fact that they know their destiny, but it's not their time yet. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And it is no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. There's another fallen angel right there. Materializing. Satan, he's a fallen angel. As we read, he's masquerading as a good angel. The King James says he transforms, turns himself into an angel of light. So all this conservative commentator is saying is being, if Satan being a fallen angel can do it, then other fallen angels can do it as in transform themselves. He's also saying it's apparent that there are other demons that can't. Really, who could care less? They're all just bad. They're enemy. They're the enemy. But you have to know your enemy. And looking at Revelation 9 too, we have many scholars believe Satan is, has given the key to the bottomless pit. This is him. He fell. Now given a key. He's got this key. If this is not Satan, they think this is a very powerful angel of a very high rank. 9-2, he opened the bottomless pit. There arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. So the earth opens up. It's spewing smoke. So Satan, or what some theologians believe is a high-ranking angel, opens the bottomless pit with the key. The word, uh, it's also called the abyss, right? Translated the abyss, uh, it's talking about a place that even though it's part of hell, it seems to be different from Hades. Where all, you know, Hades is where all the people who do not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, at death, they wind up. Well, this is a different section of hell, the abyss. And you needed a key to it. And we see that the smoke, when the, when the pit is open, pours out it, darkens the sun even more than it's already been darkened. And what comes out of this pit? The full meaning of this trumpet judgment, we need to read verses 3 through 11 through, and then we'll go back over what we covered. Um, Revelation 9, 3 through 11, there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto, upon, unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God on their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Verse 6, 
And in those days, people will, after they're stung, will seek death and will not find it. And they will learn, yearn to die, but death will evade them. They're going to they're gonna seek death. It means they're going to try to die. Death will flee from them. The locusts resembled horses equipped for battle. On their heads was something like golden crowns. Their faces resembled the faces of people. They had hair like the hair of a woman, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. Their breastplates, scales, resembled breastplates made of iron, and the whirring noise made by their wings was like the roar of a vast number of horse-drawn chariots going at full speed into battle. They have tails like scorpions. They have stings, and in their tails lies their ability to hurt men for five months. Over them, as king, they have the angel of abyss, the bottomless pit, the angel of the abyss. In Hebrew, his name is Abaddon, which means destruction. In Greek, he's called Apollyon, which means destroyer. I'll just begin to tell you, there are a few, although they were vastly outnumbered commentators, that believe what we just read is that these locusts coming out of the earth are helicopters. And they've taken uh, what we just read because John, who's having the vision, had never, didn't know what to call a helicopter. Oh, the crown on his head, that could have been the blades, or the blades could have been like a woman's hair. Um, you ever seen the bottom half of some of those attack helicopters with the, with the mean face drawn on it? You know, the armament John could have uh, thought was mistaken for a breastplate. You've got John described the sound of wings made like a huge number of horse-drawn chariots because um, of the loud noise. It's a helicopter. Tail like a scorpion. Um, they're saying John saw helicopters, and this is the only way he could describe a helicopter because he had never seen a helicopter. And you, you know what? That, that could be right. Um, that could, be, that, that could be right, but, but some things that, to, to reason most people don't believe, I remember hearing that when I was a kid. Uh, most people don't believe it's, it's, it's helicopters, most theologians, because a scorpion, he stings with his tail. You know what I mean? Sting, right? I think that's how it goes, right? And, and also, I don't think helicopters, because they're being led by a demon king who is named in the Hebrew Abaddon. Most helicopters, what they shoot, everything I've seen is a lot of destruction, a lot of things blowing up. And all these helicopters are coming out from under the ground. You know? What, 10,000 of them? 100,000? I believe along with most theologians and commentators that know a lot more than me, that I've read after, that these are real demons. These demons have been given a command. They can't hurt the trees or anything left that's green. They can't hurt the 144,000 Jews who have the seal of God that we talked about. And remember, we connected those 144,000 Jewish evangelists sealed with the seal of God. They're being saved. Why? Because that seal is, is, is because you're, sa- you're sealed. It says in the New Testament, if you have Jesus in your heart, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians. And so they, there will be Christians on earth at this time that have not yet been martyred. 
And the Christians that have not yet been martyred, probably living really tough lives, probably in hiding, probably can't buy food, probably can't uh, get medical treatment because they don't have the mark of the beast, and, which will probably be some type of chip inserted into uh, the wrist or foreheads of people. These Christians will not be able to be stung by these locusts. These locusts are around for five months in the tribulation. I think the only other thing you can find, sometimes you, you, you search the scriptures for that time frame. Sometimes you learn things. When you get that, a number like that, uh, uh, the only judgment that I saw that last five months is Noah's flood, 150 days. And so whoever they sting, it doesn't kill them, but the Bible says that people will seek death and will not find it from this sting. It says death will evade them and flee from them. Can we see 9, 6 again? Chapter 9, verse 6 again. And those people, after they've been stung, will seek to die and will not find it, and they will yearn to die, but death evades them and flees from them. I, I heard one guy say, this is the only verse in the Bible that completely throws him. I hear guys out there that know a lot more than me. Um, you, you think that Jimmy Evans is a marriage guy, but he's an end time specialist. And he's got a podcast, and on that end times podcast um, called Tipping Point, Every podcast has a half a million views, all right? And so he, he teaches that because of the mark of the beast, all right, because these people have the mark of the beast, all right, they're not, it's going to keep them from dying because they're going to be in such pain, they're going to try to commit suicide, but if they have the mark of the beast, it's going to keep them from dying. And he says, if you get the mark of the beast, it's going to come with all kinds of promises. Oh, you can't get cancer. You're going to live for hundreds of years, right? That's, it's going to be enticing to get it. But the, the other commentator said he's thrown the most by this scripture in Revelation 9, 6, because couldn't you just strap on a high-powered bomb to your chest? How can you say a bomb's not going to blow someone to pieces? So he says he doesn't understand how that would be able to happen to you. I'm just trying to give you all the takes on this. All the different things that people teach. And it's true that a locust, if you look at it closely, does resemble a horse. Um, the people that take this literally, these demon locusts, this is what they think they will look like. Could we, could we show that image of the demon locust? Yes, this is why I did not get to do the Experience Living Word weekend. <laughs> because we are showing pictures of demon locusts. Okay, so, so if you can picture, and I'm really, that, that's fine, it's weak enough, right? So you can picture this because locusts travel in a swarm, and I wouldn't have preached this. I would not have preached this. And so, but, but this is the Bible. We preach what's in the Bible. We are going through word for word revelation, verse by verse, and so, if you can picture this, because the locusts travel in a swarm, and picture of a swarm of these things, millions probably coming out of the earth. And at first, it almost, like picture Minneapolis, right? Um, and looking at a, a storm from Minneapolis's viewpoint, um, 
because these things are in a swarm, and that's what they look like. It looks like a thunderstorm, and maybe because the former sealed judgment uh, that, that poisoned all the, had one-third of the water, they're, oh, it's a storm. We get some water, right? And that's what the swarm, storm looks like, a, a low-moving cloud, and it's moving fast, and it's starting to get loud, and the Bible worded it's, it's like a roar of a horse-drawn chariot going full speed into battle. So this swarm is coming towards them, and they realize the cloud is alive. Imagine that hitting the city, just landing on people. These things probably coming in the tens of millions each and every day in those five months. People are, can't leave their houses. They have to stay indoors. Because the pain they inflict on you is so bad, you want to die. And you can't. For, you, you, for, it lasts for five months. But um, just, just imagine the fear of just them getting through the vents in your house. And then to think about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that it can't touch, the people that have not gotten the mark, that are saved that have Jesus in their heart, these things cannot touch. It will be noted. It will be noted that they're immune. But remember, you know, they're thinking, if you you get that mark, there's no turning back. It says someone in here goes into the tribulation, if you get that mark, it's over. Just remember that. You know, um, Amir Safadeh, quoting him directly, he is a well-known end-time scholar. He's an he's a expert on, on the nation of Israel. He's, he's Israeli, and um, I'm quoting him. He wrote a book on Revelation, and it's a really good book. It's, a, it's like if you want a 280-page breakdown of Revelation... Um, it's an amazing book. Amir Safadi. These are his words. He says, some commentators believe that John is describing mo- modern helicopters. And there are elements of the description here that would fit. But unless the pilot is holding um, the, the, the cyclic, you know, the thing that the helicopter pilot, I think that's what they are, and working the pedals and has little red horns and a pointy tail, it doesn't work. Remember, these locusts didn't come from a Sikorsky helicopter factory. They came flying up from the abyss. These, there's no reason to allegorize their origin. John said, these are demonic locusts, and when I read the description of these little creatures, they sound like exactly what he said they are. One more reason to look at them as demonic creatures is the fact that they have a king leading them. He is the angel of the abyss with a very fitting name, destruction. What the hierarchy of the bottomless pit looks like, we don't know. This is our only peek into that demonic order. We only know that what we can read here, which tells us they are led by their king, given the authority to torment humanity, but only to a certain extent and only for a specific amount of time. Five months of this horror qualifies as the first woe. But hold on, there is more woe to come. Verse 11, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in a Greek tongue, his name is Apollyon. Just looking at this angel of the bottomless pit, 
before Lucifer fell, tried to dethrone God, these beings the Bible is referring to as demon locusts were at some point beings of some type created by God and at one time every single one of them served God. And all of that would have been in the realm of the righteousness of God. I'm willing to bet you their appearance changed. But when Lucifer led that war against God, the father, this particular demon king, Abaddon or Apollyon, was deceived by Satan, wound up on the wrong side, or could very well have been mentioned with, with Gabriel and Michael. He's very high ranking. Looking at the phrase, second half, verse 11, it's announcing the fact that before the fall of Lucifer, this was probably a very powerful angel. There are four angels in scripture that are, that are mentioned, only four. Michael, Gabriel, Lucifer, and Apollyon. Who are fought, those two, the last two being fallen. But we have definite indication from the Bible that some of Lucifer's angels did more than just rebel with Lucifer and start a revolution in heaven because some of these angels were locked into the abyss and looking at, at the ones that have been locked away. We know what some of them did. The Bible says it. They committed fornication with human women trying to corrupt the blood of the human race, making it impossible for Christ to be born into the world. If you're a Methodist visitor, you should come back next week. I don't know if you're going to... We're just reading the Bible. You can see that. What I just said in Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4, or Jude, uh, the only chapter in Jude, verses 6 and 7, talks about that. All right? That's why you get uh, the Greeks and the Romans worshiping these half man half gods. But, but what it was that Apollyon and others did exactly, we don't know. We do know 2 Peter 2, 4 says, for God did not even spare angels that sin, but cast them into hell, delivering them to be kept there in pits of gloom till the judgment and their doom. So we know God does not have those high-ranking angels, or the devil does not have those high-ranking angels in his arsenal against us right now. Some of these angels uh, did more than just rebel and carry out a revolution. As we begin to close today, many commentators think that this trumpet judgment, the first woe, with the demon locust being released out of the abyss, happens 37 months into the tribulation. Five months before we get to the conclusion of the first half of the tribulation. And they are released for the sole ob objective of tormenting the people on earth who still at this point have not accepted Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for their sins, asking Jesus to come into their heart, to be their Savior and be their Lord. I, I, just, I just think I would have, I after the first earthquake that shook all the mountains in the, in the islands and moved them out of place, I would have probably been on my knees. But see how, how, how such a spirit, that spirit of rebellion is so much stronger. Why? Because those that are restraining it right now are gone in the rapture. 
There's nothing to restrain it. So it's much stronger. And I want to remind you, why are we going through the book of Revelation in such detail? Revelation 1.1. Because this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's revealing something about Jesus that doesn't get revealed in the Gospels. God gave it to him to disclose and make known to his bond servants certain things which must shortly, and whenever you see shortly in Revelation, it means suddenly, should be translated, which, which must suddenly come to pass in their entirety, and he sent and communicated through his angel, messenger, to his bondservant, John. Then in verse 3, blessed is the man who reads aloud in church the word of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and keep themselves true to the things which are written and heeding them, laying them to heart for the time, for the time for them to be fulfilled is near. So two things, you get blessed and I get blessed. They just said that. Number two, it's a revelation of Jesus. What's it revealing? It's revealing about him things about, a lot of it is judgment. The mankind that you could say, what, who? Mankind. Judgment of mankind. What, what mankind? The mankind that laughed at him. Scoffed, scoffed at the Bible. Um, the, the Ivy League professors who just turn young 19 and 20 year olds, turn them into atheists. Laugh at it. Those guys. The mankind that refuses to accept him has been there, he's been there with open arms all along. His, his, his creation that rejected him. And this is just one of the forms of judgment that we see today. Revelation 1.18, this is Jesus. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. So be it, and have the keys of hell and death. So you have Jesus holding the keys of hell and death. Well, Revelation 9.1, the fifth angel sounded, I saw a star fall from heaven onto earth, and to him, him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So Jesus gave him the key. Why? So judgment could be executed. Not on me and you. We accepted him. We accepted the fact that he was judged for us. We're not even here for all this. That's why we're doing this, uh, this series. So that people won't be here for all this. But, but how we're closing today, we're, we're doing a little bit different. And, um, and this is for those, I'm one of those people that, that, you know, I just, I looking at my watch, when I'm out where you guys are, I'm, I'm trying to guess how much more is left, how much longer. I start with the worship leaders, who's doing worship, you know, try to guess how long dad said, you know, all that, just, just all that. And so th we are going to take 12 minutes of your time, all right? No shortened offering, no communion, all right? Um, everything's shortened, but we're going to take 12 minutes and we're going to pray for revival corporately 
all together. All right? And this, this is not for the 10 to 30 people that show up at 8.30 Monday through Friday. You know, sometimes it seems like everything's on their shoulders or the prayer groups, right? And they're praying for revival, but I just, I just feel like that, that there are times when you just need to do this in a service. Charles Capp said long prayers aren't necessary. People think, oh, to have an effective prayer meeting, it's got to be an hour. It's got to be an hour and a half. No, 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 no. Watch. Watch what happens in this 12 minutes. There was an incident in Acts 4 where Peter and John, after healing a crippled man at the gate called Beautiful, they were arrested and questioned by the authorities. They were threatened by the Sadducees, and they were ordered not to even mention the name of Jesus. Imagine if a law, the law told you not to mention the name of Jesus again. What would you do? And you know what they did? Peter and John did, Acts 4, 23. Being let go, they went to their own company. They went right back to church and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And you know what they, they did with their company at that point? Because it wasn't a good situation. And when they heard that, Verse 24, they lifted up their voice to God. They started praying together. Peter, John, and their company. And what happened? It shook that building. And if the building shakes, we're probably going to go more than 12 minutes. It shook that building. But, but one chapter later, it, there was revival. And so I, I want to pray for revival here at this church and in the Twin Cities. And in other churches, I want the end time ladder rain revival to start here because that's what George Washington Carver prophesied. He actually prophesied that, that it would start here and go down the Mississippi. And so for 12 minutes, and the clock has not started yet, for those of you watching your clocks, I don't care if you sit there in your seat and just say to yourself, God, bring revival in the name of Jesus Christ. But we're going to do this from a form of worship. Um, the main sanctuary needs to do this. You know, you can go to 830 prayer every day we, 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 and have a prayer pastor in there. And these people are in there every day and they are praying for multiple, multiple things, and that prayer gets uh, broadcast around the world, Monday through Friday, in the chapel, 8.30. But, but this is for the guy that just wants to get home and see the pregame. He's thinking about his nachos right now. It's good for you to pray for something besides uh, your, yourself and your own children, you know? And so the music's going to start. Melanie's going to start to worship all right, and, 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 and you're going to, you know, at first it's going to sound like worship, but then it's going to listen to what comes out of her mouth because it, it starts to be prophetic statements in the form of song, okay? This is a, this is a gift, right? And so, and it doesn't mean you're praying, uh, just pray softly to yourself, agreeing with her, but softly in tongues. If you don't pray in tongues, you're always welcome here. Pray in your understanding. Listen to what she's saying. You'll start to hear these, these phrases that, that, and pay attention. And, and 
when you hear them, they connect, and you know that your tongues is taking you somewhere, or you're understanding you'll get a phrase for you to repeat. And, but here's the bottom line. It's, this is called uh, corporate prayer. This is your company. This can shake the Twin Cities, just like in Acts 4. And it's not just for living word. It's for everyday church, River Valley, Eagle Brook, Substance, Creative Church, Emmanuel, all the Grace Churches, North Heights Lutheran, Living Word Northwest up there in Rogers, for the body of Christ all over Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Minnesota. And I'll leave you with one phrase out of Kenneth Hagin, Bible prayer study course. He simply says, believers in, in their company can usher in the glory of God as they join together in united prayer and praise. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to start the clock right now, okay? Church, if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to sit, you can sit. Let's just posture ourselves in a place of prayer right now. Is that okay? Jesus, we thank you for revival. We thank you for what you want to do. We say yes and amen. We say yes and amen to all of your ways, to all of your plans. And we just ask you, Father, right now, would you come and speak to us what's on your heart? We say we're listening, God. We want to sing back to you what you're speaking to us. We want to speak back to you what you're speaking to us. We say come and give us that spirit of intercession this morning to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Jesus.
for the more. We cry out for revival. We cry out for Jesus. The only way, the only truth, the only light. Oh, we petition heaven this morning. God, we say, increase the water levels. We say, come, increase in this city, in this state, in this nation. We ask for the overflow of heaven, the overflow of heaven. Come on, church. Just cry out this morning. Just pray in your own understanding. Pray in the spirit. Pour it out, Lord, cause we know there's more. 
Stay true to my word. 12 minutes, three seconds. I know some of you are bugged, but some of you are happy. Listen, we need to do this more often, huh, Living Word? Pray in the service. Pray in the service. There's something about it when you know that there's a, a time limit. And you're, not, you're not sitting there thinking, it's going to be an hour and a half, two hour service. No. You're thinking, I got 12 minutes. I might as well throw everything into this. So it's a different mentality than when you know you've got an hour, right? It's a different mentality when you, okay, 12 minutes. I can, I can lock it down here for 12 minutes, all right? And so um, it just was an honor. 11, you bless me so much. You're so energetic. You're energetic. You're, you're into it. You're, it's like you, like you want to be here. 